Episode 39 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with David Johnson. David is the Academy Sports Scientist at Bournemouth and he joined us to talk about growth and maturation, what and how to monitor growth and maturation and his views and what they do in, at Bournemouth in terms of biobanding uh, with the Academy age groups. So it's great to speak to David. Um, it came from a few recommendations when we put a tweet out a few weeks back about getting someone on for growth and maturation. And uh, we can see that there's some quality work going on down south. So thank you for David for, for coming on. We are just a, under a week away from our next network meeting now at Preston. So we're going to be at, at Deepdale with Tom Little on Wednesday the 31st of July, 6 till 9 p.m. So if you do want to come and join us, there are still tickets available. Head over to footballfitfed.com, click on network meetings and events and go and get your ticket and then come and join us on the night. We've got some good coaches coming, coaches that have been to the meetings before and I know there'll be some good conversations and some good um, networking opportunities as well as, as well as watching Tom present. So I hope you head over and get your ticket. And as always, please share the episode with as many people as possible Put it on your Instagram, put it on Twitter, um, tag coaches in it, send it over to coaches once you've listened to it, and also head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That would be great if you could do that. we get some top feedback on the podcast, but if you could put that feedback on iTunes, that will help to boost us up and um, get it out to more coaches and more practitioners. Thank you again for listening. Here's the episode with David. Welcome to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. Today, I am joined by David Johnson, who is the Academy Sports Scientist at Bournemouth. David, how's things? Yeah, good, thank you. Thank you for having me along. No problem at all, mate. Have you got a bit of sun down on the south coast? Yeah, absolutely. It's lovely at the minute. It's like being abroad, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Nice. So thanks for coming on, mate. It's good to get you on. Um, we're going to talk today about a specific subject, but I'll let you cover that a little bit in an intro. So just take us through your career so far, mate. Where's taking you to Academy Sports Science at Bournemouth? Um, so I started doing an undergraduate in sports science at Manchester Met. And as, during that course, I did two years as an intern at Crew Alexandra. And that's where I sort of first came in contact with the academy setting and particularly growth and maturation. Um, from that point on, I then went to the University of Bath and studied an MRES looking at specifically growth and maturation in a football setting um, under the guidance of Dr. Sean Cumming. And then following from that MRES, I then um, started working with Bournemouth and using some of their growth and maturation data in my studies. And then um, I was lucky enough to gain funding for a PhD through both uh, the University of Bath and then also working down here at ASC Bournemouth um, to look at um, how growth and maturation affects injury risk in the adolescent football players down here. Awesome, awesome. So are you full-time at Bournemouth now? Um, so, yes, essentially. So I'm in, I'm in the academy full-time, but I split my time between doing my PhD studies and then sports science and S&C delivery. Awesome. So what have been the main findings? What's been the main things you've taken away from your research so far? 
so in in terms of my phd i'm i'm only one year into that at the minute so we've we've taken a lot of training load data and growth maturation data and we're just starting to find a few things but um previous to this i during my mres i did a study at the University of Bath and that looked specifically at the Bournemouth players and how growth and maturation could affect the injury risk. So um, we've recently had a study accepted um, in the European Journal of Sports Science that suggested that um, the period of peak height velocity when using the Kamish Roche method um, was linked with an increased injury risk. And then also we found that uh, maturity timing so whether a player is early on time and late didn't significantly affect the injury risk so this sort of highlights that there's a key period in the player's development where we need to understand how growth and maturation therefore affect the injury risk Awesome so this sort of research obviously should hopefully in the future give us information on how we need to adapt our practice so what I know it's early on in, in the research, but how do you think our um, practice should be adapted to take this into consideration? So um, I think that um, a lot of clubs and us, especially at Bournemouth, should think about how growth and maturation affects practice throughout. So there's various ways that it can affect your practice. So if that's injury, uh, so understanding which players are more at risk of injury and also developing injury prevention strategies depending on where the player is in terms of their biological age. And then also you can use it for testing, talent identification, talent development, and then finally in as part of biobanding. Yeah, and biobanding is something that we'll touch on in a little bit because I think that's a fascinating area. But I just wanted to ask, like, how does the general programme look down at Bournemouth? Like, we see a lot of clubs and academies using um, like a multi-sport model and then going a little bit more specific as they as they get older is that similar to what you guys do or how do you guys approach it yeah so um, pre-peak height velocity so in our foundation phase we have a strong emphasis on a multi-sport environment as alongside our footballing so the players get um, exposed to both their football training, futsal training, and then as a sports science department, we regularly run some um, multi-sport activities for the players, um, which is really good. And then as part of our provision to the players on training and the, um, their additional gym-based sessions, we, can, we expose them to um, sports science sessions, which sort of build on those multi-sport elements and fundamental movement skills in the foundation phase. Then as we get into um, sort of that YDP phase, the, the multi-sport emphasis is slightly reduced. So it's slightly less variability, but we still do include some elements. So um, the players will often go off and play other sports that we provide. So go play volleyball and uh, mini golf and stuff, um, mainly for the benefits of the social and psychological side of things uh, as part of that. Um, and then as they, in that phase, we're sort of more thinking about how to develop these players and prepare them for the older age groups, whether that be the under 16s and 18s, and how we can progress through peak height velocity with our S&C programmes and then our on-pitch on um, conditioning and football programmes. 
Because over the last few years, it's been a common area of, um, of thought for a lot of practitioners, especially in academies, hasn't it, to use like the multi-sport model. So it's interesting to see how different clubs use it, whether there is structure to it or just whether it's like a, a random a random selection of sports. Do you guys have any, any structure to it? Um, so what we try and do is, so uh, it's structured in terms that it's um, on the programme and everybody knows when it's going to occur. And it's a regular week, through, uh, regular weeks throughout the season. Um, in terms of the actual sports that we deliver, we often um, take advice from the coaches in terms of what we can we can deliver and what are the um, common physical outcomes that could occur from certain sports. And then also adding in. Um, rather than it being sports, but fun, competitive physical games is another thing that we try to do. So including obstacle courses and tug of war exercises, and then also some sort of wrestling and grappling exercises have really been good for us this, uh, the past season. I know a lot of coaches probably use that approach, but if they don't and they're unsure of why, what, what are the big benefits that you see from exposing players to different sports and different games and drills and movements? Um, so we, I think the benefits are, are really widespread. So the obvi- there's obvious physical benefits and overlap between sports, whether that's change of direction skills and agility and those sort of things and jumping and landing. But the other benefits that we really see within the academy are the social and psychological skills coming through. So on those multi-sport days, we always find that um, what we do is we group the players across the foundation phase, so across age groups. So it it allows them to mix and get to know other players, which has been really beneficial um, throughout the season because we we have a very individualised process here so players will often move between age groups um in the academy so allowing players to socialize and interact with each other is really good and then another psychological benefit that we find is that when the kids come in and they're absolutely buzzing to see all the multi-sport equipment set up and whatnot we get absolutely no injuries on those days so no players seem to want to be in the physio room they all want to be playing multi-sport and doing something new which is a real advantage to us and sort of a psychological element there to the players that they're getting something a bit different and getting some real real enjoyment out of the session yeah it's it's definitely you see it don't you, you see the sort of mood change with the players when they when you put things like that in front of yeah. them yeah definitely so do you want to touch on the biobanding, David? Do you, do you want to take us through um, your experience so far with biobanding and how you guys actually utilise it? Yeah, sure. Um, so down here at Bournemouth, we use biobanding on a regular basis to um, in both training and match settings. So for those that don't know what biobanding is, it's essentially grouping players based upon maturation rather than chronological age. Um, so we've been able to use that regularly through the season to provide an altern- alternative football environment for the players. So moving this, so bybanding sort of it means moving players between their age groups and sort of taking those barriers between age groups down and then grouping the players based upon maturation. So you could it then provides some really good challenges to all your players. So for your early maturing players that often physically dominate their age group, it allow it sort of pushes them up to play with 
players of an older chronological age where they'll be physically matched and then they don't have to rely on their um, well they don't often they can't rely on their physical skills to dominate a game and then um, it means that for our later maturing players um, they are moved to play with players with, uh, of a younger chronological age where they're then also physically matched but it allows them to really showcase their technical and tactical skills so this has been a real advantage for us in terms of both talent di- talent development in developing a holistic football player where they can develop their technical and tactical skills in a new physical environment but also talent identification in understanding um, which players, um, how they're performing in that biobanding situation and comparing that to their age group situation. So you can often have cases where um, academies will um, deselect late maturing players, um, hopefully not intentionally, but perhaps because they don't have the physical skills um, to cope within their age group. Um, so this can, for, for us in terms of identification, we can really understand where those late maturing players are and hopefully retain more of those to the older and um, adult level. And I suppose, and, and I could say it's because I'm not tied in with a club, but it, I suppose in my experience with it as well is that coaches a lot of time will turn to like the physical um, structure or, or makeup of a player to um, and use it as a negative against them sometimes, and, and whether that's players too small or that player's too slow. And I suppose the biobanding helps with getting that level playing field a little bit more, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I think having those biobanding sessions and matches really creates a educational factor for the players, but also the coaches. So coaches now. Have Uh, thanks to my boss uh, Ben Bradley really understand growth and maturation in the academy and they'll regularly come to me with questions about how the players are growing and developing and how this could affect their practice so if a coach then becomes aware of who his late maturers are through biobanding he can then almost understand and look at them differently within a a chronological age group setting because they, they might not be able to perform to the same levels as their peers because they don't quite have those physical skills yet and then recently what we've been doing as well is touching on biobanding for testing so as you mentioned there with the um, players often being released for being slow this really gives us an indication of if they're slow for their maturate uh, their percentage of adult height so that would allow us to really understand whether they are actually slow or whether they're just less physically developed than their peers and that you often see quite a big difference between who strives for their age group in terms of testing and who strives in their biobanded group for testing and what have you found in terms of like the psychological and and the the social um reaction of players like when especially i suppose when a player gets moved I, I don't know whether they see it as being moved down an age group or whether it's just a more suitable group for them to be in. Does that? Do you see any effect that the player has? Um, I think it would. I think the the of the answer is yes. You do. Um, the players instantly sort of assume that they're being dropped by pl- being playing played with uh, players of a uh, younger chronological age group chron- chronological age, but 
uh, it really comes down to the education and understanding of why players are being moved and you have to really get that across to the players because if you just move them without explaining to them what we're doing and what biobanding is that can be seen as a real negative but if uh, from personal experience from when you explain it to the players that get, are getting moved both up and down that this is for their benefit and explain why you're doing it it allows those players to um, really understand the benefits and often they can strive in that new group if they and they you often find that late maturing players that get moved down as such can then take a more central role and sort of be a leader in that session yeah because I think that that is a hard thing to get around but it is I suppose it's all about the environment that they're in isn't it if you do speak to them like it is there them being um put in a in a lower age group then that could psychologically get to the player whereas if you're explaining the benefits like you said and and giving them opportunity to play then that's a real positive yeah definitely and I think it's it's important to give those same messages if a player's moving up as well. I think that's often un- under-associated um, because uh, players that are moving up are then going to face this greater challenge that they're, than they're used to and they need to develop coping strategies and underst- develop those skills for when they're play- really tested in a physical environment. So biobanding gives us that, but also there needs to be that psychological support for those players. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because with this only really taking off in the last few years, but when you look at a first team made up of all sorts of different physical attributes and also ages, it seems quite an obvious approach, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's the that's the way we could probably put it over to players as well. Is that when you when you get or hopefully when you get to first team level, that you're not going to be playing with with people the same age as you. Yeah, I think I think that would be a good educational way to explain it as well and also trying to get players to understand that it's a long journey rather than it's not about the game at the weekend but rather preparing them for that first team level yeah and it's hard I suppose it's the the results factor isn't it trying to it's all about progression and um, education at that stage rather than strict results yeah definitely so what, where do you see the future of biobanding, David? What are you guys looking at? How are you guys going to um, look at progressing it? So in, t- in terms of biobanding, we really want to continue implementing it in both our training and match program down here. And every, t- every time we have a biobanding week as such, we get feedback from the coaches and we're trying to progress it in that sense. Generally, the things that we're trying, the things that we've improved this year, have been more of the logistical stuff. So I'd like, so if anybody's going to go out there and try biobanding, that's the logistics of moving players around and then also providing them an understanding and an education of why they're doing it is a really big thing to first get going. And then in terms of how we move it forwards, I'd like to see more biobanding competitions. So obviously we have loads of games, festivals, and um, competitive weeks for the age groups across all across the academy. But I think there's been a few biobanding tournaments run, but I think that's where we could really um, test players in those environments and under, you allow your players to um, gain those psychological skills that come with playing tournament football, but also the social skills of being with new players and in a new environment. 
I think a lot of it comes down to the, the culture at the club, doesn't it? Because it, it's a tough thing for a coach to suddenly turn around tomorrow and then, and, and just try and put or, or utilise Bayabandon if they've never done it before and it's never been something that's been used at the club. But there are there are ways of slowly putting it in. And I'm guessing at Bournemouth it wasn't something that just happened overnight. No. Um, uh, ben Bradley's been implementing Bayabandon and growth and maturation strategies for a few years here. So I've really come into a great environment where the foundations were already set that allowed me to um, further educate the coaches and implement um, good strategies within the club and I know some of your research David has been based on um, the relationship between training load and growth and maturation so do you want to touch a little bit on um, what that is based on and, and possibly some of the findings or what you're looking at yeah so um, so the sort of plan for my PhD is to um, get training load and growth and maturation data across three seasons here at um, Bournemouth for the adolescent age groups and then try and see if there's any relationships there between growth and maturation and training load and then injury. So we know that there's an association at the elite level with training load and injury and then we also know that there's association between growth and maturation and injury in youth players but then combining the two is the real aim for my PhD and then the idea is that as we move forward season on season, we can implement the best practice within the club. So um, the recently published study allowed us then this season to um, flag players at risk to coaches. And they then um, attempted to monitor these players during the sessions and then have regular conversations with myself and the sports science and medical department. And then moving forwards, the, um, to continue reducing these injuries, we're then going to try and implement specific strategies um, to players which are at risk. And this also incorporated mo- incorporates monitoring training load to a, a greater detail and understanding week-to-week changes um, of both the, the volume of training but also the training load that they're under. And then hopefully um, we'll see a reduction in injuries and then what would be the ideal outcome for me would be a, a strategy that means that um, within the club, uh, peak height velocity is no longer associated with an increased injury risk. So players could be identified and know that we know that they're at risk, but actually those injuries don't occur because we provide the correct strategies to prevent those. Yeah, that sounds quality, mate. So... Do you want to just go into a little bit more detail on um, how you're actually going to measure that, but also other clubs and other practitioners that are out there that aren't necessarily looking into growth and maturation so much at the moment, how can they monitor it with players? Okay, Um, so in terms of growth and maturation, we use the Kamish-Roche method here, also known as sort of the percentage of adult height. So um, in terms of monitoring growth and maturation, the, the best, my best recommendation to um, coaches and practitioners would be to reg- regularly measure the players in terms of their height throughout the season. So this should be probably every three months. If you have the facilities and the abilities, you could do it every two. Then based upon those, you could understand the, the rate of growth the players uh, are going through. So obviously the time between the two measurement points and then the change in height across those two measurement points 
And if you're seeing a high rate of growth, which would be um, associated with peak height velocity, which is between 10 and 12 centimetres per year, that would be identified as a risk factor. And then on top of this, um, using that method, you can uh, identify the period of between 88% and 95% as a period of risk. So those are the percentage of adult height. So that sort of those, based upon research, those signify the uh, period of peak high velocity using this method. So if you can identify players as they enter that 88% to 95% band, you can then provide that feedback to coaches and they can understand um, what to do. So the first bit would be to measure growth and maturation and sort of provide feedback to coaches. And then if you were then starting to see that those players that you've identified are getting injured, then you'd want to start implementing strategies afterwards. So what sort of things, when, when you step into that and, and you are being, and you, you're flagging up players in those um, circumstances, what would you do as a practitioner? How would you step in and adapt training? Um, so the season that we've just had, um, I wouldn't adapt training for those players. So basically the suggestion, so what I did was I identified the players at risk and um, we'll see once I analyze the data if they if identifying those players to the coaches was enough to stop the injuries. Um, if it if it turns out that we're still getting injuries within those zones, we would then put um, further strategies in place. Um, some of those strategies would incorporate um, e monitoring their loads on a on a even tighter basis, so understanding those week to week changes or day to day changes. But then also uh, monitoring symptoms of injuries, so you um, you can monitor overuse injury symptoms through questionnaires but also um, in the club here we monitor uh, particularly growth related injuries and their symptomology so over a season period of uh, over a season we monitor the players in terms of whether they're getting growth injuries and how bad their symptoms are and then are combining that with their training load data to further understand the injuries. Awesome, mate. Sounds like some top stuff going down there. So what would be what would be like the, the next stage to your research, David? I know like this is probably quite a way off, but um you got plenty of things to focus on in at the moment. But where would you want to take this after you've completed your current research? Um I think the the real next stage for me is to um get a really good um, large sample of growth maturation data so whether that be across a few different clubs to pull some clubs together to understand what the trends are for a larger amount of data so combining multiple clubs and seeing if these associations are happening to all clubs and how we could then help more than one club in terms of identifying injuries and um, to our adolescent players and then hopefully developing more players as a country and as a whole. Well, that sounds quality, mate. That sounds really good. So where, where's the best place if people have got questions, David, and want to reach out to you, which I'm, I'm um, sure there'll be a lot of questions out there. Where's the best place to get you? Uh, definitely on Twitter. So that's the social media that I use for uh, professional side. So that's David underscore Johnson 11. So that would be the best place to contact me. Um, 
Alternatively, if you've got more in-depth questions or want more in-depth th- feedback, you could contact me on there and I'll provide you with my email address. And I'm uh, generally quite good at getting back to people about growth and maturation because I enjoy the subject and just love to chat about it. So happy for anybody to reach out. Oh, I think it would be great if they do, because like you say, it's a case of working together in terms of collecting data, isn't it? There's only so much you'd be able to get from one club and, and uh, one area. So it'd be great if people can reach out and get in touch with you and uh, hopefully link it all together and help improve practice overall. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks a lot for your time today, mate. Really appreciate it. It was good to get you on and, and speak for it all. It was quality. So um, thanks a lot, David, and hopefully we'll catch up soon. Yeah, you're welcome. It was a pleasure being on. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Bye. Thank you to David coming on for coming on the podcast. It was great to have him on. Um, you can go and follow him on Twitter. He's at David underscore Johnson 11, and the number 11. And I've got some of my biggest takeaways were when he was talking about peak high velocity and future injury risk. And then also in terms of the multi-sports program they run, the, the benefits of the social and psychological side as well as the physical side. And then also when he talked about the benefits of biobanding, but also that taking time to implement. So we spoke about it in the episode. It's not going to be a case of um, one day coaches just turning around and suddenly having this um, uh, setup of biobanding within an academy setting. It does take time. It's something they've been working on for a long time and continue to work on as well and do plenty of research on. But it was great to have him on and talk about it. And I hope you took loads from it. As I mentioned at the start of the show, please share it with as many people as possible and head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And we'll speak to you again next week.